Hey folks, there's been a lot of public outcry over DOJ's position that it should defend Donald Trump against a defamation suit by E. Jean Carroll, a writer who has accused Trump of raping her in the 1990s. Meanwhile, we're learning more about the Trump administration's efforts to overturn the results of the election. Newly released emails show Mark Meadows, former White House chief of staff, pushed the Department of Justice to investigate election fraud conspiracy theories. And there are new developments in the criminal investigations into Donald Trump and Matt Gates. Joyce Vance and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we are sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. How are you, Joyce? I'm well, Preet. How are you doing? I'm good. Did you have a good week? We have a lot to talk about. There's some breaking news as well. We do have a lot to talk about. It's been a big legal nerdy news week. But before we do that, I should mention that the second the second episode of our new history podcast, Now and Then, has dropped. Heather Cox Richardson and Joanne Freeman spent some time talking about both the plans for a January 6th commission, which looks like it's not getting off the ground just yet, but through the lens of history, talking about other prior commissions throughout uh, American history that have worked or not worked, what they find, what they don't find. Um, I think you'll find it fascinating. You can listen to Now and Then wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great podcast. It really is. I feel a lot smarter because I get to listen to it, and putting things in a historical context really helps you understand what's working well and what isn't. And since we're all focusing increasingly on this question of institutionalism, that slice of history is is really invaluable. Yes, it is. All right, so people have been following this bit of news involving the former president, Donald Trump, and a woman named E. Jean Carroll. And just to remind folks, E. Jean Carroll is a writer who has claimed that she was raped and assaulted by Donald Trump many years ago, long before he was president. When Donald Trump was in fact the president, he made a bunch of disparaging remarks and comments about the veracity of that claim and about E. Jean Carroll generally. She then sued him for defamation, which in the legal system is called a tort. And there has been a raging battle about whether or not you know, put aside for a moment whether or not it is in fact a tort and it is in fact actionable, but whether or not the sitting president could be sued in those circumstances. This case is in the Second Circuit on appeal. And what's happened now is that the government has filed its brief. This is the first brief that's been filed since Merrick Garland took over the Justice Department in the Biden administration. A lot of people were expecting a change of course because what's going on here is a question about whether or not DOJ should represent the former president. Many people expected that the new DOJ would say that they were no longer going to represent Trump, the position that the earlier DOJ had maintained. But that's that's not what happened here. In fact, DOJ continues to maintain that it should and is entitled to represent President Trump. And so What we've got right now is DOJ's brief in this case. What we're waiting on is the response from E. Jean Carroll. But even with that, I think we have enough of the argument here, Preet, to figure out what's up. Yeah, we we should just be be clear 
that what is surprising to a lot of people, and the reason that we have gotten a lot of questions on this, is there's been some assumption that the new Justice Department, with new personnel and new leadership, would take a different position. Now, they take a different tone, and I think that's very important in this brief. It's not as argumentative, it's not as crazy, it's not as absolutist as some of the briefs that Donald Trump's lawyers and Justice Department filed in court on this case and in a bunch of other cases. But they continue to take the position, notwithstanding the departure of Trump, that the president can't be sued under the, the Federal Tort Claims Act and something known as the Westfall Act, that the president not only cannot be sued, but that the United States should be substituted in as a defendant in the case, which would, as many people have pointed out, cause the claim to fail because defamation is not something that you can sue the United States for. When I say that the tone is different, the government in its brief, you know, the new brief in, under the Biden administration, does something that we've not seen a lot of recently, and that is it concedes something. It concedes, as you have suggested it should, that the comments made by Donald Trump were inappropriate, unnecessary, you know, in poor taste, I forget what the words are that they use, but say that that's not the question before us. It's a legal question under the FTCA, but they, I think, gain credibility by suggesting that some of the things that the former president said were inappropriate. We should actually remind folks of some of the things that the president said. Among other things, after E. Jean Carroll brought her suit, Donald Trump told The Hill, it's a periodical in DC, quote, I'll say it with great respect. Number one, she's not my type. Number two, it never happened. And then he also told a press pool, And it's fascinating, he told that same press pool, people have to be careful because they're playing with dangerous territory. So yeah, that sounds like a president's official scope. But you know, what's, what's interesting here, Joyce, and you and I were discussing this before we started taping, the original legal position taken by the Trump defenders was what? Well, they argued that the president had official immunity, absolute immunity for conduct that he committed within the scope of his employment. And, and this was certified, actually, by a Trump official as being conduct that fell within the scope. A and the judge slapped that argument down. Trump lost. It was only after they lost the official immunity argument that they shifted over and began this, this what I'll call Westfall immunity argument, this notion that the president can't be sued under the Federal Tort Claims Act. And it's it's not, I guess, unusual for the government to not assert Westfall immunity until later on in a case. But in, in this situation, the entire process smacks of a process that was designed to bend over backwards to protect the president, to ensure that the public would fund his defense and ultimately, as you point out, that sovereign immunity would prevent these claims from going anywhere. Yeah, and it was a tactic of delay. It took months and months, as our colleague and friend Barbara McQuaid wrote a few months ago. It seems like they didn't take immediate action because they wanted to run out the clock. They, they filed the Westfall claim on the very last day that they could have. Right, which I think would be unusual in, in a case involving the person who's at the head of the head of our government. So the arguments we should just, we should touch upon for a moment and then discuss, you know, what all this means and where it's going. But, you know, the government's brief in this case, as I've said, is, is not crazy. I agree with you on balance. I agree with the district court judge that Donald Trump's conduct on the best reading of the law and the facts does not fall within the scope of his employment. I remember at the time 
sort of doing a gut check and talking to some of, you know, one or more stars from my civil division who are now in private practice and ask them what they thought and how it would come out. And they, they were of the view that Judge Kaplan would not find that these remarks by the former president were within the scope of his employment. And they turned out to be right with respect to Judge Kaplan. But I don't think the government's brief filed this week is, is crazy. You know, we, ha we have this conversation all the time. There can be a strong argument and a weaker argument. Often it has been the case that the Trump folks make crazy arguments and utterly meritless arguments. This is a real argument. I think it, it, does, it shouldn't win the day, but it's a real argument to the extent that they cite a lot of cases where, you know, things that are said by public officials are deemed to be within the scope of their employment. And they make an argument. I think ultimately it's not as powerful as it could be, but they make the argument, and I wonder what you think of it, that a president of the United States, in the context of answering questions from the press, even if it's about personal matters, is acting within the scope of his duty. And in particular, they point to some surrounding facts, including that he used the press office. There were other aides to the president in the White House who were you know, enlisted in the duty of putting out statements, et cetera, and that he was responding to questions from the press on, on one or two of those occasions in the midst of talking about other things that are more you know, obviously within the scope of presidential duty, like domestic policy and such. You know, but they make an argument. That would seem to mean that basically a president can say anything that, they, that he wants or she wants just by virtue of being the president of the United States. It's not really a scope of employment argument. It's almost definitional the way this brief reads, right? It does. And so I think something that's important just to say is that Merrick Garland took this job likely knowing that within six months— he would be the most hated man in America, right? <laughs> he was going to have to make some tough calls. There's no way that you can please people all the time, nor is the job of an attorney general to please people. And so I approach this brief from that point of view, although it's difficult. I'll, I'll just confess, it's difficult not to be emotional on this topic. I think it's tough to look at this situation and to say there's no remedy for a private citizen who's been called a liar by the president, who's, who's used horrible language about her, using the bully pulpit of the presidency sort of like a megaphone to advance his views. And then she's just supposed to sit aside. There's something about that that just doesn't sit well. And I think that that's actually tied up in the legal analysis. Joyce, you and I are assuming that the attorney general himself, Merrick Garland, weighed in on this. That's absolutely certain in your mind, right? I think that's a good assumption here. Because of the sensitivity of it? Because of the sensitivity and also because some of the tone of the brief, and, and maybe this is me overreading it, but it really sounds like the way uh, an appellate judge, a judge on the D.C. circuit, might react to a district judge's opinion that he thinks is wrong. There's just a certain force in describing the district court's opinion as reversible that really reads like Merrick Garland may have had his fingers on this brief a bit. And the other thing that's interesting is, and maybe the reason why people are taken aback, that there's probably some psychological logic in the back of people's minds saying, you know, Trump is gone, Trump is terrible, Biden is in, Biden and his people must know Trump is terrible and what's terrible on this issue as well. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. And for a limited time, 
Use the code JOYCE for 50% off the annual membership price. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.